Welcome to the All In Your Head podcast, where we get all in your head. We are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health. We will have special guests ranging from mental health experts, mental health advocates, and just everyday people with real struggles. We will share laughs, we will share cries, but most importantly, we will have real conversations about mental health. So with that being said, let's get all in your head. Woohoo! I've been in the field for a long time. I'm not going to say how many years because that'll age me, but I've been in the field for a long time. Very rarely do I hear something new. We just keep recycling the same stuff over and over again. And I heard about how you're using improv to help people who've experienced trauma, mental health issues in the classroom, all types of issues. So what is, what is it? What is the improv? What are you doing? Let me just start with this because this often creates a lot of confusion. We as human beings... We improvise all day long, all right? There's a structure to our day. We're not shocked every time we open up our eyes in the morning, like we have no idea what's going to happen. We know there's a structure. And between what we expect in our day, we improvise as human beings. We're making you know, rapid decisions based on our experience, our training, what needs to happen, okay? So we improvise. Now, a lot of things are called improvisation. And that means they're unscripted. Okay. But what I do is, so I'm not talking about improvisation in general. I'm not talking about improvisational role-playing. Okay. What I'm talking about is something called improv, which is a comedic art form. And specifically what I use is short form improv. So these are those short 60 second to three minute long games you might've seen on stage or television, mm-hmm. like whose line is it anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's and, kind of my knowledge base is that show. So when I think improv, that's what I think of immediately. Perfect. And that show is amazing for bringing it worldwide for, I mean, th- that show went on, I think in, well, it started as a radio program in around 88 in England, and then it aired for almost 10 years there. Then it came here and it's been on. TV in America since the 90s. So it's great that people have enjoyed it, but what they miss is they don't understand the process behind it. And Mm. I'll talk about that in a moment. So we've when we don't understand things as humans, it makes us uncomfortable. We put it in boxes. So a lot of times people would think, well, it's just like stand-up comedy. You know, it's about being funny and it's not. Mm. Okay. Stand-up comedy, the objective is to get a laugh. So if that's my objective, I'm going to make fun of myself. I'm going to make fun of you, my mother. I don't care. Okay. I got someone someone else's mother. Exactly. And it's not theater. Now, although some games have acting in it, it's not theater because theater is drama and drama is created through conflict. Have you ever had trouble with disengaged patients in your group therapy sessions? Duh. How about patients who can repeat most topics back verbatim, but still end up back in treatment again and again? The Institute for the Advancement of Group Therapy Bridges That Gap. They provide training for counselors and therapists on maximizing patient engagement and recovery skill building in the group therapy setting so that patients can successfully apply what they've learned outside the four walls of therapy. Upon completion of the course, participants receive 10 NADAC accredited CEUs and an official credential as a certified group therapy expert or CGTE. To learn more about the much needed training and apply for credentialing, contact them via their website at grouptherapycertification.com or email at certification at grouptherapycertification.com. Short form comedy improv is created through acceptance. 
So in every interaction, every verbal, nonverbal offer between two people in every single game, they are practicing reciprocal, unconditional acceptance. And you can see right from there, well, I'll look at it a little bit further, but I mean, it, it parallels treatment goals, parallels what we need as human beings on so many levels. Yeah, that's really interesting because when you think of improv, when I think of improv and someone said, hey, we're going to do an improv night, I'd be scared to death mm-hmm. because I feel my anxiety increasing, feel like I have to perform in a certain way. I feel like I'm being judged. Yeah. I have to be funny, kind of what you're saying. Like all these feelings would come up for me and I may not even do it. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who are very good communicators, but you put a microphone in front of them or if they feel like they're performing, then they just completely shut down. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, if someone is training to be a professional performing improviser, you know, their training might start in a different place. But what I found doing improv was that whether the games were very simple or very complex, you were getting the same benefits because you were always practicing this one rule, this one foundational Mm -hmm. rule. And that rule is yes and. It's yes, I unconditionally accept your offer and I value it so much, I'm going to add my own to it. Okay. So you want to try a game? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Cool. So we're going to, let's design something that needs to be new and improved. Okay. We use every day. What what could that be? Like pencil or? How about about a lawnmower? Does that work? A new and improved lawnmower. So you start and you say, let's design a new and improved lawnmower. I'll say yes. And, and I'll add an idea in that design and we'll just go back and forth. And the only rule is say yes. And before you offer one idea and you can build off mine or add your own. Okay. Okay, cool. Let's say let's design. Let's design a new and improved lawnmower. Yes. And you can computer code its path so you don't have to push it or drive it. Yes. And it also drive itself. So you don't even have to drive it. Yes. And it will adjust itself over what it's going over. So it doesn't cut up all the tennis balls on the lawn. Yes. <laughs> and it will mow the lawn according to a schedule and it will do it by itself. So you don't even have to take it out of the garage or anything. It just will just go and do it. Yes, and it's silent, so you can do it any time of the day or night. Yes, and somehow it <laughs> makes you money. <laughs> Woo, thank you. So did you see how you were kind of smiling? And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a little smart. laughter. Yeah, that's And smart. yet we weren't trying to be funny. Yeah, that's true. So the misunderstanding is the laughter comes from the shared experience. It's not coming from anyone trying to be funny or trying to be entertaining or witty. It's from that shared experience. And if we had other people with us, they would be the audience. So Mm -hmm. they would be giving us the ideas. So they're not sitting there in judgment, waiting to be entertained. They're part of every game. Yeah. I like the the yes and because it's very affirmative, right? So like if it was no, that's no and or no. I don't think that would work, but this may work instead. Like that's rejecting, right? But this is very affirmative. Yeah. So two things, and you bring it right right up from the start, is it's so simple, right? 
And yet it's something we don't tend to practice as humans. You know, we don't listen to understand. We tend to listen to respond. Mm, I talk about that all the time with my students, because if you just listen to a conversation and let's say we talk about our weekend, it's, hey, I went camping. Hey, I love camping. Hey, you know, this is how I camp. This is how I camp. And every it's a whole conversation. You can talk five or seven minutes about each person just using I and talking about their experiences. I mean, there's still some level of connection there, but you're not really listening. You're just thinking about what you're going to say next. Right. So the the structure, a lot of people think improv is like this chaotic, scary thing. Yes. And is such a hard, um, firm structure because you have to listen. And that's where the magic comes from. Mm. Because why yes is this positive affirmation, it's affirmative and all the wonderful things that brings to the body and the mind, we both know that yes can be really empty. It doesn't mean you're listening. Mm-hmm. We've all been yes to death by people and they, yeah. they're not listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Great. I just oh, did that. it right then. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But it's the and with it creates just enough uncertainty. Okay to make you pay attention to the other person. So it gets you out of your head, out of yourself. And now you're attuned to that other person. So in terms of attunement and mindfulness, it's the and. And in terms of what you were talking about, like the nervousness, yeah. people misunderstand like nerves are being bad. A little bit of nerves, a little bit of social threat is what's going to get your brain into flow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, any trained actor, any trained theater person knows they're going to be nervous going on stage for the rest of their life. And I had a teacher one time and she said, if you don't feel those nerves, you're not ready to perform. And what she didn't know she was describing was that little bit of social threat flips the brain to where you're now in that neural signature flow and you can be at your best. So that's good. But you do feel that little bit of threat, right? But because you have that, yes, that unconditional acceptance and support and no judgment from your partners at every moment, it just instigates enough uncertainty that you're okay. I work with a lot of people with performance, and I use that word very broadly because when people hear the word perform, they think of on stage or a, a sport, and I use it in a way where I think of performance as any area that you're giving energy towards, any any area that you're trying to improve or bring the best version of yourself towards. Because as I think about my day, I feel like my whole day is some level of performance. Yeah, I'm doing a podcast, it's a level of performance. That's a little more direct. But after this podcast, I'm going to be interacting with my kids and I want to, I want to perform in that. I want to be the best that I can possibly be. I'm be, going to be interacting with my wife and I want to be best in that interaction. So when I think of performance, I think about all those areas of my life that I really want to bring the best version of myself to and be successful. Do you think about it the same way? I do, actually. And I love the way you just said that. I mean, and it's so true. And one rule improv approach to improv is to make it accessible mm-hmm. to everyone because what you get from the power of improv from this yes and is something you bring to any moment in your life. It's not on stage. I mean, your whole life is a stage, you know, it's, yeah. it's like you say, we're performing all day long. And that's not meant, like you said, not in some shallow way. Yeah. It's, it's bringing your best self forward. 
So my approach focusing on just this one rule, one rule improv, a lot of people focus on there's seven rules to improv or 11 rules to improv or, you know, they come at it from different directions. If that's what works for them, great. What I found works for me because I like to share it with people who are not necessarily theater people. Sometimes they're in the room. They don't even know why they're there. Someone else set up the event or the training and I want it to be accessible immediately and by focusing just on, hey, all you have to do is listen and add something, mm. okay? Be present and show you value the other person by, I mean, how's that not for everyone? Yeah. And then, you know, the benefits from it, I mean, there's three things with this approach from improv, from focusing on yes and. The first thing is, and we saw this in our research that we published last year was, it flips the brain online, right? Mm. So if you're in a hyper aroused or an agitated state or in a hypo aroused, you just want to throw on those headphones, those hoodies disappear, you know, it brings you into that window of tolerance. It brings you up the polyvagal. It, it gets you into, it gets your nervous system in a better integrative state in moments. So now you can engage in therapy and yeah. learning in a conversation or relationship. So you know, that yes gets you out of that fear-based brain, throws you into the prefrontal, activates the different sections. So we've now increased increased the functional connectivity, right? Everything's firing. We're crossing hemispheres. We got the back right going. It slows the brain down. So the communication, all those areas of the brain can actually understand each other more effectively. And it's that and that's slowing us down and letting us just focus on the other person. I talk a lot about the neurosequential model, and I've done training for educators and educational leadership. Wow. And that's a model that was developed by Dr. Bruce Perry, but it's all about okay. getting information to the cortex, and it's a lot for educators. And the research shows that in order to get information to the cortex, the students first have to be regulated. And there have to be some level of relationship with the other's connection, right? And so the model is really regulate, relate, and then reason. Again, to get information to the cortex, you first have to help the people to be regulated, help them to be in connection with others. And then you'll be more successful at getting information to the prefrontal cortex. This sounds like another tool that would be able to help with that. Absolutely. I love that. I love the way um, he laid that out. Absolutely, because it gets them into that regulation and then the relations. So the other thing, you know, flipping the brain online to the ability to create the conditions for connection. Okay, neurobiologically with your nervous system, but also with each other is so immediate and so rapid. So like you and I doing yes and now we played a game where we said it out loud. A lot of the games, you're not saying yes and out loud, but it's implied. Okay. I'm accepting whatever you give me, I'm adding to it. So in every single moment, I, when I hear that you're accepting me, I begin to trust you. Mm. I begin to trust myself. I mean, I begin to trust I have a voice. My voice has value, okay? We're practicing being flexible, getting out of that rigidity. Um, so you have the cognitive flexibility. You have the, um, the listening, the deep listening, the attunement, you're being adaptable, okay, in every moment. So that's all going to help with forming those connections. This was an interesting thing on a side note. One of the things we found 
those who've experienced trauma, oftentimes their mirror neuron system tends to deactivate, so to speak, right? Because why would you want, you know, we use our mirror neuron system to learn by watching. So why would you want to learn something that's abusive or neglectful? So it tends to turn off and we found that reactivate. So now through improv, we now have the capacity for empathy. And the fact that it has a, a brain connection is really wild. So it turns the brain online very quickly. You can feel connected to someone. Okay. Because you're feeling heard. I think we live in this world. We're connected 24 seven. And I don't think we've ever felt more alone. Yeah. You know, It's such a strange situation because I think everyone, everyone wants to be felt. Everyone's so frustrated. Everyone's screaming on social media to be heard, but no one's listening. And until we all listen to each other, we're not going to have that sense of validation. So in this very quick exercise, we're validating each other. And that just does wonders for the relationship and the body. Oh, here's something. So you mentioned this before. I loved it. About saying no. Yeah. Oftentimes, there's a few ways we respond. We can say no. We say yes, but, which is kind mm -hmm. of a condescending way of saying no, because yeah. we're still ending the conversation. We can say, yeah, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh, and still not be listening to the person. And the last one, I just sort of realized a couple of years back, I had a couple of people in my life and I felt so, man, I talked to them and I just feel it in my gut. It just hurt talking to them. I mean, it was so, I guess, invalidating. I always felt invalidated and I couldn't really figure out what it was. And then I realized they had a language pattern and sometimes people use it strategically. And sometimes it's just this unconscious pattern that every time I said something, they said, not only that, which is, and with mm -hmm. no yes. So they never validated my idea. They built off it. Theirs was better. Not only that mine's better. I'm one upping you. And I don't think we realize, you know, we, we, we say in a million memes how words affect us and they hurt, but they do have so much power in our relationships. And I think we're so unconscious of when we respond to someone with no or yes, but or an empty yes or an and with no yes, it impacts our relationships. I was doing a session at a medical school and we were talking about this. One of the supervisors said to the students in the room, they were fifth year medical students. What do we say as doctors? And they're like, yes, but. <laughs> and uh, she said, I'm a lawyer. We say no. <laughs> and she goes, it's strategic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's strategic. We say no, because now it throws the other person off. Even if they're right, we say no, because now it's the upper hand of the power in the conversation. Yeah. But the problem is we take that home to the family and that's how we respond to each other. And you know, one of the things is being aware of yes and the first thing we can take away is to kind of take that inventory and reflect on how we respond to people and maybe notice how they respond back with how we respond. Are we yes anding them? And what does that look like and feel like between us? I mean, you and I, we felt that energy. Yeah. It got pretty connected and joyous pretty quick. Yeah. Maya Angelou has a quote about that. And I don't remember the specific quote, but something along the lines of, People will forget what you said. Uh, people mm -hmm. will forget what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And we don't realize how we make people feel in interactions a lot of times. 
and you were just using an example where you didn't really know it either. You just had these interactions consistently where you just felt kind of crappy as you left that interaction. And I think this is a tool to help us to gain more out of those experiences, gain more out of those interactions, leave those interactions feeling a different way than maybe we historically have. Yeah. And I think what's sad too, and I mean, we're all different, but you know, my initial go-to was, I don't like that person. They make me feel bad. You know, mm. my initial go-to is I'm bad or I'm not worth mm. it. Or there's, you know, so you internalize that first and you get down on yourself and then there's that cascading effect where it's really just how someone else is responding. I like how you reframe that because that's probably a lot of what it is, yeah. how they make us feel about ourselves, right? right? And so that's a really good point. I want to hear a lot more about the skills and and the research around this, why, why and how it works. But I'm also curious, since this is something new to me right? and it seems very innovative, how did you start this? What's the background? So I actually started, I'll, I'll date myself, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I started in the mid nineties and I was already working. I had my degrees and um, of teaching. Okay. And I have my master's and I started taking acting. I always wanted to, and I came from a state that got rid of theater probably in the early seventies. So mm -hmm. there was nothing. Um, so I started doing acting. And of course you do a couple levels of acting and then they're like, you should do improv. Improv is good for actors, yada, yada, yada. So I started taking this. And I think this goes for a lot of people. When you start doing it, if it's taught well, and I had a wonderful teacher, if it's taught well, you feel those benefits. So even though I wasn't a natural introvert, I mean, I was more of an introvert than an extrovert. I had a lot of social anxiety. I wasn't particularly funny or witty or <laughs> fast. And yet it was joyful, but not always fun because you always kind of were stretching yourself and getting used to being a little uncomfortable, jumping up there game after game. But I found I kept jumping up game after game because it's so amazing for resilience because you learn, you know, if you feel like you failed, even if you didn't, yeah. because I don't talk about, there's no failure in improv. You keep running up and doing it because it creates such a supportive ensemble around you and such a core of acceptance around you that you keep doing it. And those benefits grow simultaneously, you know, the communication and the flexibility, all those soft skills, it's all simultaneous that I felt the transformation personally and professionally. And as a teacher, I immediately wanted to share it with my class. It transformed my classroom, transformed my teaching, transformed educational outcomes. So that was amazing. So my that part of my path was similar to a lot of people. You take a class, it's amazing. You mm. want to share it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got out there and I did some research. I got that published. This was early on. And then um, I'm wanting to share it with more people. And I was talking to a CEO and I'm like, oh, improv's great. It helps with communication and leadership, negotiation and innovation and creativity and communication and collaboration. And, and he's like, well, it sounds amazing. What's the process? And I said, well, uh, he said, well, how's it work? I'm like, oh, there's rules and there's structures and it's, you know, like make your partner look good and move things forward and yes, and, and, that, and he goes, what's your process? I'm like, well, there's rules and there's structure. <laughs> yeah, didn't you hear what I just said? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, look, if you can't explain, and this is, I think, a Deming quote, 
if you can't explain what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and I was just like, but I do. I'm doing this. I've been performing mm-hmm. it. I'm teaching it. I'm, but I was like, fine. Yes, and. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I went to a coffee shop. I sat there for a few hours and I looked up every claim that we claim improv does. Um, you know, decreasing, you know, spontaneity and regulation and trust and decreasing anxiety and mindfulness. I threw it all out there, you know. Yeah. And I kept coming back to yes and. I'm like, yes and does all of that. And you know, the self-esteem and, and I'm like, why are we teaching 7-Eleven rules if it's really coming back to yes and? And I had a phenomenal teacher. I'll plug him, Bob Sapoff. And he was always just really focused on yes and. he And he kept us like that. And that's where the comedy and the creativity and everything came from. So I'm like, if we're going to make it accessible, I'm going to focus on one rule. And what I find interesting, this is growing up as a big niche space now. Lots of people are doing this because they know it's, it's transformative in so many. I mean, people are using it with Parkinson's, they're using it with PTSD and anxiety and education and business. It's all over, right? But oftentimes they say yes, and and when I talk to them, I'm like, so what activities, what games? They're not picking games that are actually framed by yes and they're improvisational. But we can be improvisational and set up role plays with conflict. We can be improvisational and I can put you on the spot and accept you to be witty one after another, after another, and after that. And you might be yes anding yourself. And that might be something you have a gift with. But if you want to make this really safe and accessible to people who've never done it, who might have anxiety, who aren't, you know, they're not the person that wants to get into the middle of the circle and have all the center of attention all the time, you yes and so you're attuning to someone else. And a lot of times, I'll take these games because I too work a lot with adolescents who, you know, are suffering various effects from trauma and some of them are very controlling and they are very good at doing this by themselves. So the challenge for them is, can they attune to the other person? Can they have that relationship with the other person? So, I mean, I'll take games and make them yes and games. Yeah. Mary, do you see this as an intervention that prepares people for interventions or is this the actual intervention? You know, we have a treatment group, for example, 60-minute treatment group. We start with an activity like this just to kind of warm things up. But can this actually be the intervention as well? So I stay in my space. Yeah. So let me say this. Yeah. I use it in the clinical world, in the therapy world. I use it as a very quick and effective way to get their brains online yeah, and then go. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm not a therapist. Yeah. Right. But I know they're now in a much better place. They're at their best to understand what's really going on and to contribute to their growth and their healing. And it's amazing for families and et cetera. Now, as an educator, I can use that the same way at the beginning of class. But I'm also very comfortable taking my curricular content, putting it in certain game structures. Mm. So now I'm covering my content while flipping their brains online, while covering all those soft skills and helping them build connections and relationships with everyone. So you can possibly make it relevant within the therapeutic sense, but at a minimum, definitely an intervention to get them ready for the intervention. Yeah, I like that. I certainly at minimum feel like it's a great tool for that. 
Right. And so, since since I'm a therapist and I've been doing this for a long time and I've created curriculums, I could see a situation as well as you were saying, where this could also become intertwined with some of the intervention as well. And so, you know, I, I'm very intrigued by that. And, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, for instance, one student um, I had, I always check in with them, you know, how you feeling? How's it feel in profile? And she said, in profile is like swimming. I was like, okay, what? And she's like, well, therapy feels like track. You have to go through the ugly. I'm like, mm. And she's like, well, you know, you start running and you're out of breath and you're gasping for air and you're sweating. And sometimes you fall and you get all skinned up and now you're bleeding the ugly, but with improv, you jump in the pool and you're laughing and you're smiling. You're there. And it was like, she completely just described. Now you're ready. Now they can engage. You know, it's like yeah. swimming. Yeah, that's helpful. That's a helpful analogy. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And I can't thank her enough for that one. So you talked about how you can use it in a therapeutic setting, educational setting. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more about some of these other settings. Where else have you seen this used? Well, um, I was at a medical school last spring and it was for, uh, I did two grand rounds, fourth and fifth year medical students and then physicians. And a couple of things it did was, well, we took one one of the games, very you know simple, very easy to facilitate game, whereby it's like a debate and it's a harmless debate. You know, what's a better pet, a dog or a cat? But the person in the middle has to agree with both sides. Mm. For someone who's oppositionally defiant or just oppositional <laughs> as a personality who loves to say no, mm. they're sitting in the middle of a fight, basically, a debate, having to agree with both sides. So in this medical setting, what the um, physician who was supervising the, the whole week did was we used that to set up debates in a very safe space because as doctors, they, they need things black and white. There's no gray area. No, wants, no one wants to seem wrong or feel wrong. And yet they chose topics like, is ADHD overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed? And there was a debate going on. You know, no one got to choose their side. So it wasn't like, what they really think, but they had to debate both sides. And the person in the middle had to agree and contribute to both sides of the debate. So we cr it created a very safe space. And that could be something to applicable to any area, whether it was, you know, in a classroom or, you know, in therapy, it creates a safety. So a lot of these structures do that where you can kind of explore the uncertainty. Yeah, I really like that. Support and without judgment. Yeah. What else would be helpful for people to know about improv and what you're doing? I would say, you know, the concept of yes and is something that's accessible immediately. Mm. You know, kind of just listen for it for yourself. Take an inventory of yourself and then try and use it. And it's not necessarily easy, but you'll notice it can be really effective. And especially if someone gets into a very agitated state of mind, you know, whether it's from trauma or an event, it can help bring them back. It can help get that brain online so they can actually see that there is no threat around them. They're okay. All right. I perform as a pirate in the summer and, you know, we'll get people, we don't know them. It's very interactive. It's very immersive. And I'll just be really short with the story, but there was a child who's about 12 years old and I don't know anything about him. And we solve I think seven riddles and then we'll find treasure, right? 
So we're going through set after set and the audience are solving riddles. We're going through the woods. We have a pirate ship. It's, I mean, it's amazing. It's so cool. <laughs> and we get to the end and the captain says, ah, a final riddle. And this kid, um, the mother talked to me later. He was on the spectrum and he goes into he becomes completely dysregulated. Mm. He is melting down. The mother is trying to actually physically restrain him, hold him. She's struggling. And I get over there and he's like, he said there was only seven, seven riddles, seven, seven. <laughs> he said seven. And I said, yes. And we solved those. And now we made it here and the treasure's here. And if we answer one more, we'll have treasure. Okay. And he says, okay. And that was it. And it was just that yes and, and I could, you know, tell story after it's something. So to be aware and to try it and then what improv does. Okay. So if you actually feel this and you're like, this is amazing. And then you hear your partner, not yes. And you, you can't say to them, you know, you need to yes. And more you're not yes. anding. <laughs> That's not quite going to be effective. Yeah. Right. It turns into nagging. If this is something that you're curious about, it works for you, you or you believe in it and you want to share it with others, there's nothing more powerful than sharing it with a few quick improv games because then they can feel it. You have the power of what play is and how we learn faster through play than anything else. So play some games. Yeah. And what I do is, okay, so Jamie, if you and I played improv, all right? Improv games right now, yes, and is going to make that completely trauma informed. Okay. Yes, and is going to create the belonging, the autonomy, the security, the power, the funding, safety, the choice, the trustworthiness between me and you. Completely yeah. trauma informed. Yeah. If I have a group, it now comes down to facilitation skills have to be trauma informed. Okay. And a lot of times, People are like, oh my God, improv is great for PTSD. This is great. I'm going to go work with veterans now and we're <laughs> going to play these games. And they don't know how to facilitate the games now in a trauma-informed way to create that safety in a group. And that's outside the game. So in my one rule improv approach, that's something I add to it to equip people that if you want to share improv with more than you know who you're playing with, then here are other you know, strategies uh, based in neuroscience and psychology that make it now a complete trauma-informed experience. Yeah, I think about yes and, and I just add a few thoughts. We are in a political season and we're also entering holiday season, which could be a perfect storm for some families because I don't <laughs> know about your family, but in my family, oftentimes there's certain things you're not supposed to talk about uh, with 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 family, right? There's kind of those don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, but people still do. And I know my family still does. And it's interesting because it's usually an hour of everyone trying to prove the other person wrong. What's wrong about their ideas? Mm -hmm. What's wrong about their opinions? And I feel like an approach like this, well, to go back a little more, when that happens, there's a lot of emotions and yeah. tension and and usually it, an hour and sometimes it's even two hours we leave with probably worse emotions than what we started and everyone still feels exactly the same way they felt at the beginning of the conversation as far as their political beliefs or their thoughts i think that this approach could help validate what is right about the other person because it's 
it's possible that we're both right. You know, if we're arguing something, it is possible that there's there's information that's right on both sides. But we don't focus on that. We because we we want to prove the other person wrong, and that's where our energy is is to prove the other person wrong, and that just leads to a lot of tension, a lot of conflict. But if we flip that a little bit, and we focus on what's right about both sides. I think it'll mm-hmm. lead to greater success in these conversations and maybe even political conversation. And that maybe that's one takeaway people can 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 take from this conversation as we're entering uh, this holiday season as well is don't focus so much on what's wrong about the other person's opinions or thoughts, but what may be right. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And the power that you do have is to yes and them and see if that helps. Yeah. I mean, don't expect them to yes and you back, <laughs> um, but to yes and them. And, you know, it, it they might they just want to be heard, too, and, yeah. and be felt, too. And and it could facilitate the conversation. And if you can try a couple of games, possibly, you know, and if it gets really heated, you know, people go into that fight, flight, yeah. freeze, they lock up. And then they're seeing things as threats that aren't, you're at a holiday dinner <laughs> family. Yeah. You know, it can get scary when people get locked up and in, in that mindset and everything's a threat, it, you know, and it can be scary. And I mean, we see it in family, people get irate and they leave. And it's yeah. so unfortunate because those are your relationships. And if it's something that can work, try it and see what it does. If you can get people to play a game, try it. Feel that connection and that laughter and that just shared connection. And what's beautiful about improv is oftentimes families, man, there's always the funny person making fun of the same person. Mm -hmm. And even if they smile and laugh, they're hurt. And oftentimes they leave. But a lot of times in families, it's the humor is always at someone's expense. Whereas with improv, it's shared connection. So it's at no one's expense. Yeah, I think about a holiday that I had probably eight years ago, I have a brother-in-law who's involved in film and theater and went to to film school. And it was a Thanksgiving, I believe. And he said, hey, you guys want to play a game? And it was an improv type game. And it is now a memory ingrained in everyone's head because there's so many laughs. It was so much fun. My (laughs) wife's grandfather, who doesn't laugh at much, was dying laughing. And it was just this time of connection that we'll never forget. And it was, it was so random. My brother-in-law said, hey, you want to try this game? And we tried it and had a lot of fun with it. And now we'll never, never forget that time. Yes, it's that's what we remember. I mean, it's that connection is what we remember. There's moments. It's not sitting watching TV together. You know, I was at a holiday dinner and you know, it's always going to be someone's last or getting close. And, mm-hmm. you know, you eat dinner and the TV goes right on. And then the video games go right on upstairs and everyone separates. And I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. And I think yeah. that was one of the things that was so special about that at that time. And you you said it was that there was a family member that was a part of that that uh, didn't live much longer. And that now that's a memory that we have that we shared together before this person passed away. And, and you're, you're right. Like this is so important going into the holidays and this wasn't intended to be a pre-holiday. Like, <laughs> Hey, let's, let's talk about some things that you can do to set the, this time up for success. But you're right. Like, and I'm a sports guy. We turn on fo- you know, football, we watch TV, we eat, we watch sports and we take naps and not, not a live connection. And so this is a great way to just connect with people. And even if it's not improv, you know, I certainly encourage 
people who are listening to find ways to connect with each other as we're entering this holiday season. There's so many opportunities. We're not working. We're in the house together. How can you connect with each other and really get the most out of those experiences and the time you have with each other? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's beautiful about this is it's not monopoly. (laughs) Take take three minutes during the commercial break of the football game. You know, you don't have to break family tradition or anything, but just take that moment. Yeah, Mary, how can people find out more about you, some of the games that they can play, some of the resources that you have? How can they find that? Um, I have a website called oneruleimprov.com. That's O-N-E, ruledimprov.com. So spell it out, oneruleimprov.com. And on that, I have um, blog articles. I have um, different podcasts and radio interviews and videos, research. I have books that are my approach to learning, teaching, and applying improv. And then with the pandemic, what I used to do with in-person trainings, I put online as well. I still love in-person, yeah. but you can kind of look it up, check it out online and feel free to contact me if you have any questions or uh, figure out if you know we want to work together, if you have any questions about improv, but oneruleimprov.com. Such a refreshing time together. Something I didn't know about, very innovative. And we throw that word around all the time. This is innovative, that's innovative, but this is truly innovative because it, it's something different. And there's research to back it up and how it works and how it's effective. And my assumption is there's a lot of people who didn't know that this was a thing. And this was something that they can do with their classroom, with their treatment groups, whatever it is. So I truly appreciate you being on the show, providing some free resources and just having some fun together and you know, letting people know of something that's out there that maybe they didn't know before. Absolutely. Thank you. And just just thank you. This has been great. Keep up all the great work that you're doing out there. Thank you. You have just listened to the All In Your Head podcast. Learn more by following Jamie Glick on LinkedIn or by subscribing to the Mental Health Training Camp YouTube channel. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.